God wants restoration and reconciliation for us way more than we want it for ourselves. I promise you He does. He created our families. We're made in His image. And when we step out in faith, even with the smallest tasks like cookies in His name, He's going to bless us. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I am here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast host. Today, we are very excited to bring you a story from one of our brand new communities, Fair Hope, Alabama, which is right outside of Mobile. And this was from their very first gathering. And if you want to see how many women showed up for a story of hope y'all it's on our instagram page you can check it out there are pictures of fair hope's first gathering and it brought me to tears i just saw it it's amazing how hungry we all are for stories Mm -hmm. of hope Mm -hmm. and so ashley jones is their very first storyteller i know and her story is so relatable on so many levels really but the biggest message that her story gives is the importance of offering grace to others and reconciling in areas where there may be a little bit of discord or division. So her story is going to encourage you, but I think it's also going to challenge you like it did me. Before Ashley's story, Patreon members, we have a surprise for you. This Friday is a Where Are They Now episode. Listen in as Amy Grody brings us Alita Casey, who actually aired back in February of 2019, and her episode was entitled Seeing His Sovereignty Through Depression. And so Amy's just going to visit with Alita and see all that God has done in her life since then. Alita's episode number is episode 39. If you're not on Patreon, it's so simple to join. We would love to have you as a Patreon member. Just go to Storytellers Live org and you can join right there or you can scroll down right now in your show notes and join patreon and here's ashley well good evening and i am so blown away by what god is doing through these three amazing women but i'm really blown away and highly emotional already by four women (laughs) in particular who walked in the door from the time that they walked with me in this story and i had no idea to expect them so god is so personal and he just leaves everything for his good so i hope my voice will carry and please just bear with me i'm way nervous right now too but I do want to say how wonderful it is to be a part of an inaugural ministry event on the Eastern Shore. And all the Lord called Kim and Eleanor and Tracy to do this, He actually is the one who started it. He provided for it, and He will most assuredly continue it. And we all here can't wait to bear witness to that as well. So we will keep you three in our prayers from this day forward. But across the country, as you mentioned, and not just across the state of Alabama, Many have been a part of storytellers to witness to what God has done in their life that makes this ministry so incredibly special. And volumes of books really could be easily written for just telling stories of miracles and divine appointments uh, that have transformed each and every one of us here. We all have something to tell. Our private and our personal family history is truly His story. That's how it's spelled out. And stories are infinitely compelling, and the Bible alone is one great, magnificent story. So when we think of our lives on a timeline, there are certain years when there would actually be a start. There would be a significant point for you and for me where God really 
moved in our lives and our lives shifted and changed forever. A radical change, almost like a seismic shift. And these are chapters in your life and my life that really could write a novel. But for me, there are actually three epic times that I believe that bear witness to God's faithfulness. And I pray that when I do tell them, when I testify to them, that to God alone be the glory. And so year after year, when more pages are written, like you, I have many dog-eared pages, underlined pages, highlighted pages, things in the margins, notes, underlined. But I also have chapters that I really never, ever care to revisit. And when I begin a new chapter in a life that's sometimes difficult, I really want to just mark it up and send it back to the Lord and ask Him to please rewrite this. (laughs) But we can't because the story has already been published. So when Tracy asked me to be your first speaker, I told her that I needed to pray about it. Of course, learning every ask needs to be undergirded in prayer. But the real story I was asking the Lord, or the real ask I had for Him, is which story do you want me to tell? Would it be my, um, many of you, and Lori, this story's touched you on a deep level, my husband's mother, your grandmother's? And her glorious entry into heaven is a book waiting to be published if I just had the courage to do it. Or my husband's miraculous healing that many of you in here uh, stormed the gates of heaven and petitioned on his behalf. And while doing so and facing death, he came literally face to face with the living God and was embraced in Jesus' arm and lived to tell about it, what that was like, the love of the Father. But when I asked Pete, which story that he wanted me to tell, he said, I need you to really talk about this sweet story of reconciliation that I, as my husband, he said, I think that's what the world needs to hear about because there's so many threats to generations. And actually, the world needs to hear more of this reconciliation story. So I'm going to keep telling this one, I suppose. But unlike all the other books, with magnificent stories that we can read, we can't skip ahead to the other part of our lives to see what happens next. But, but we can know this. God is already there. He's already there. If you hear nothing else from my story tonight, please know that where you are now is not where you are going to be. He has not finished writing your story. And so this is probably a good place for me to begin mine. But mine starts with my teenage parents. They were 17 and 18, and this was in 1967, so I can imagine that there was uh, some shame attached to that. I know that I've self-imposed shame, and I've really carried it with me, quite honestly, all of my life, even now, right now. My parents did marry, and so therefore my birth was legitimized. They even had another child, so that would be my sister. Her name is Tiffany, and we are three years apart. And as the story has been passed down, Tiffany was just six weeks old uh, when my parents divorced. And then later, between the two parents, they were eventually married five times, and I am the oldest of nine children all from blended families, of course. But the interesting thing is that there's more age difference between me and five of the eight siblings than there is between me and my own parents. So we raised each other. 
But I'm so grateful that wisdom does come with age. Because I guess when my own children became teenagers, I realized that my young parents really just did the best that they could. I specifically remember my oldest son turning 18 and thinking, what was it like? Uh, you know, because he's just so little. I, I didn't even want him to go to college. He wasn't old enough <laughs> to parent. Um, so they were just kids. And um, they did the best they could, and they could only do what they could do. But when my father remarried at 24 years old, he married a younger woman named Pat, and she was only 18, and I was five, so that meant that there were just 12 years apart between the two of us. My mom also remarried two more times with a total of six children, and so you can imagine that I carried around thinking it was dysfunction. And mainly because everybody had a different last name and it was hard to explain, you know, and I felt like people couldn't follow along (laughs) when I was trying to explain it to them. And it was just confusing and I could see it on people's faces, you know, so, but my mom was actually a single mom until I was about 12 and we moved a lot and I never left the city of Mobile and I changed schools nine times. But when I was in 14 years old, I decided to move in with my dad and his wife, Pat. And so when I was 14, that means Pat was only 26. So our age difference was more like siblings. And even in the best of homes, you know, sibling rivalry exists. There were years, uh, my 11th and 12th grade year, that my mom and I didn't even speak. And we were 14 miles apart. So my entire high school years were really broken with both families. And how could it not be? I mean, I'm old enough now to realize it's not, it would have been unusual not to turn out that way, I suppose. But I graduated on a Friday night in May of 1985. And the very next day, the next day, I mean, within 12 hours, I moved out. And I just got three and four jobs to support myself and just made it work, mainly with these fun people in the back. We had a lot of good times, and they all invited me into their homes. And I can just picture all of your parents now, just all the time, but riddled with this really self-imposed orphan spirit. I followed a first cousin to Dallas, and he opened a door for me to leave Mobile, which I really needed to do. I needed a fresh start. I needed something different. Uh, His my father was um, hired me as a salesperson, which I always wanted to do. I, I just wanted to be in front of people and talk and engage. And that also gave me an opportunity to finish college. And I did finish. It took me nine years to finish because I had to go to at night taking one or two classes. But eventually I did. And I graduated from Texas Women's University. And also that morning, I'll never forget it. It was, I took my final exam and I was on a flight within hours. I was worried I was going to miss the flight with a one way ticket. (laughs) And Pfizer sent me to New York, which I had never been to before for almost a summer. And then from there, Orlando and then there to Birmingham. So I started having, you know, the things that I was longing for and. I will always be grateful to them for hiring me. So on a cold and uh, foggy morning, in fact, I know uh, Sissy and I believe Mary Bland, uh, 
I ended up seeing just hours after a phone call in November of 1995. I got a call at 5.30 in the morning, and my father, uh, who was only 47 years old, died suddenly of a massive heart attack. And there were no risk factors. There were no family history. Um, it was just sudden death. And he left behind not only his young wife, who was 39, but these three little boys now were 17, 8, and 4. And because my dad was gone and the relationship was already strained, it, it really just became more complicated. And so the only way I knew to deal with it was just to let time and space kind of take over. And eventually we would just drift apart. I wouldn't see it and feel it anymore. And one year passed after another, and then the other, and then this time, I was the one who only lived 14 miles away. I was in Fairhope, and they were in that same midtown house on Imaging Place. So as time went on, I met and married uh, Pete Jones. And from my perspective, Pete had an absolute Norman Rockwell childhood. <laughs> he was one of four children, and his parents were farmers living on property that had been in the Jones family for over 200 years. And so everything about them to me was normal. And it was just whole. You know, the fact they were married made it unbelievable to me. <laughs> the, they, they spent all these holidays together. And so I really didn't just fall in love uh, with Pete, but with really his roots. And he was raised on in Baymanette on land that was a, really a generational manor. And it was just solid footing and secure, and I had never really met anyone like him. He was just that strong to me, like a 200-year-old oak tree. And he was as rooted as one could get. So his older parents welcomed me, and I couldn't wait to be married. I couldn't wait to take his name. And we married older, you know, so we quickly started a family when we were dating we used to get Annabelle and go on dates. We'd just pretend like we had children. <laughs> and we had so much fun with her. So, But we couldn't wait to start our own family because we were older and, and we wanted to make up for lost time. So we had three children within the first six years of marriage, and we gave each of them family names. And so you can see where finally I was secure and belonging and claimed and mothering. And so... Uh, life was going along, but life does hit you, right? It does happen. And so on one summer day in 2010, my children were just four, six, and eight. And I was serving vacation Bible school, probably with every one of you. I'm confident we were. And I offered to provide uh, the church these small gifts of appreciation for the many volunteers that were there. There were 150 volunteers, and I had suggested that maybe these cross-shaped cookies uh, that would be individually wrapped from Pullman's and we could put a Bible verse on them might be a nice gift that we could share with everybody. So they liked the idea. I struck out with it uh, because I loved Pullman's. It was the one thing that I could remember and my sister has a fond memory of it, too. When we were about six and eight, we would go every other weekend to my dad's house. And every Saturday, every Saturday, you could count on it. We would go to Pullman's on Broad Street and get 
donuts and milk. And it was just a sweet memory. And I love the fact that it's never changed. It's kind of like the dew drop or the old Dutch ice cream shop. It just doesn't change. And it's, it's sweet, you know, to go back in time like that. So I got the kids. It was the last second to the last day. So you want to gift the volunteers on the last day. I put them in the car, headed over for the Bayway for Broad Street, pulled up to the front, feeling like the eight-year-old son could handle the locked car, you know. So I walked in and I, I was as shocked as I am tonight with these four ladies back here to see my stepmother that I had not seen in a decade and a half behind the counter. And she had on a Pullman's apron. I cannot describe to you how kind she was to me. Uh, she was warm and sweet and uh, she just gentle, genuinely happy to see me. I guess she must have known that I was coming. She felt prepared. I certainly was not. And we hugged and uh, she said, can I... Are your kids in the car? I really want to meet them. She had never met them. She carried my order out. And we got to the car. She meets the children, really super interested in them. And then she needs to go back to work. You know, she's left the counter in there unsupervised. And so she she begins to walk on the sidewalk. And I'm realizing this is the same sidewalk we've walked on all these years ago where there were so many fond memories. And I'm just in my car really trying to absorb what's happening. And she turns around halfway down the sidewalk. And I don't know what it was, but I I really took notice of it. And I, I felt like the Lord was telling me, you've missed all these years, but you just cannot miss this moment. <laughs> This is something really special that I'm doing for you right now. And I had learned and growing in my face to recognize the Father's voice. So I was in tune to it. And she turned her head, and it's something about the way her face was framed. It was just different. And she told me, I love you. And I repeated it back. And I got back in the car and I really had to just take it in for a second. I began to put the car in reverse to get us back. And then I just, I said, I just got to call my husband. And so I just put the car in park and I called him to tell him about this extraordinary event that happened on a very ordinary errand. And I said, I don't know why I feel this way, but I feel like that's the last time I'm ever going to see her. And he was just so happy that this had happened because he's cried with me. Let me crown his shoulders, rather. Um, he's seen me cry all the time about this very thing. So I knew that when we got home, he was going to really be interested that afternoon in what all I had to say. As my faith grew through the years, and particularly that year, I'd like to add to you that that particular year, in 2020 was a very big transition for my husband. He was 51, unemployed, and it was a recession due to the housing crisis. So our faith was really maturing um, during this time. And although I felt like it was a really hard time, like, you know, threatening times, 
It's absolutely, without a doubt, my favorite marriage year, and we've been married 25 years. If I could go back to that time over and over and over and over again, I, I would. It was just a grand and glorious time in personal growth and, and meeting Jesus and knowing Him more. Right after that Pullman's encounter, so in this same year with, that I had had with my stepmother, my mother's life also changed. She divorced my stepfather after 33 years. And because of this complicated family dynamic that I've been sharing with you all night, my relationship with my mother was rather distant as well and strained for just about the entire 33 years. We were apart more than we were together. But one of her visits that year, I shared with her this experience that I had had at Pullman's. And I told her that I felt like the Lord had given me this strong feeling that on that day that I would not see her again. And she was inquisitive about that, wondered why I had such a strong feeling. And I said, I don't, I can't explain it. I can't shake it. I just know that that day was a gift. The next day, the very next day, I received a phone call from an old family friend that she had died suddenly of heart complications that were unknown. And uh, she was 55, which is my age now. So I, I can't even begin to tell you the emotion. I didn't know what to think or feel. I knew that I had been given this gift of seeing her, this amazing peace, the kind of peace that the Bible talks about that surpasses all understanding. But then there, there was three boys that I was going to face. I had to face it now. And I didn't know what to do. They were 19, 23, and 32, and now they were completely orphaned. So the dad we shared had been gone for 15 years, and now their young mother was now gone. And I really didn't know if I was going to be, you know, hard for them to see. I I didn't know what they were going to think. I, I didn't even know if the younger one even knew I remembered me, you know. So I would see them within hours of their own mother's death. And so I really dreaded that drive. I cannot even begin to tell you, but I know I had to go. And I didn't want to, but it was obedience. And I I was alone because our children were little, so my husband had them. And I just remember praying constantly, crying uncontrollably. And so there I was going back to that high school house that I can't tell you how many times I went a different way to keep from going there, just from where you live in the pain. And so I parked. They lived on they live on a cul-de-sac. They actually one of them still lives there. And it was a long walk to that end where they lived. And the minute I stopped stepped onto the lawn, off the street, onto that lawn, they embraced me. And It wasn't just an embrace. They took me by the arm and introduced me to every person in there as their sister, the one who had abandoned them. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was grace piled on top of grace. I'd never experienced anything like it. I really don't think I have since then. The pain, the scars, the darkness that I'd been carrying at that very moment from their touch was physically and spiritually removed all at once. And they were in their darkest hour. And they did that. So you have to know 
that God wants restoration and reconciliation for us way more than we want it for ourselves. I promise you he does. He created our families. We're made in his image. And when we step out in faith, even with the smallest tasks like cookies in his name, he's going to bless us. That's what he wants us to do. So even if our own broken relationships don't even currently come to your mind, maybe you've been like me and just pushed it so far back. I'm going to tell you now, it's in the forefront of his mind. He's, he is not going to let us escape it. It's a gift to us that we are meant to receive, and it's for his glory and his alone. It's for him. We don't want to deny him of that, right? So it's the enemy who's tearing us all apart. Okay, it is. The enemy's tearing us apart. Even in Genesis 2, if you just want to go there, Genesis 2.18, where it says, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then another, I will make them one flesh. The very next place is Genesis 3, the fall. The very next place, and it starts with, Now the serpent was more crafty. So the Bible also says, in Joel 2.25, that I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. And so for the 15 years that I lost, we have now been reconciled for 13 years. We're together for holidays, for birthdays, for graduations, for weddings, dance recitals, ball games, every important moment in life we're together. And another moment of grace was really just this past October when and you were there, Annabelle, when my daughter uh, was presented with her dad. All the girls in the senior class at our small school are escorted on the field by their dad or brother or special person if they don't have a dad. So my husband Pete was escorting Augusta, but also my brother was escorting his daughter. And she was the 11th grade homecoming maid, and they only choose one. And so... The girls are first cousins, they're schoolmates, and they're close friends, and you'll never believe it, we're also neighbors. We only live a few houses down from one another. So for this past Christmas Day, in more than 30 years, I joined with my family, my brothers and now their wives and their children, on Imaging Place, that place that I avoided, for gifts and laughter and desserts, and my sister-in-law served Pullman's cookies as part of our Christmas dessert table. It was, you know, I'm not even sure she knew what she was doing, but I knew that God was saying, I am really enjoying this Christmas day. (laughs) So, as for my mother, that same year we were reunited, We also attended a mother-daughter faith-based retreat at Camp Grace, which I'm sure many of you in this room have been to, in Westmobile. And this remarkable ministry for relationship healing did just that. And one of the sweetest moments of our weekend was the drive out there. It's really far. And we left the house really, really early. And in chronological order, we visited all 15 homes and laid every broken moment at the foot of the cross when we got there. It was very powerful. And never could have 
ever imagined that God would have brought me three brothers and a mother in just six short months. And remember, my concern that year was for my husband to regain employment. And so my fervent prayers were constantly for him. And I don't know still, I just say, how is it that the Lord was compassionate enough to bless me with something that I had pushed so far back in my mind that I could almost make it unreachable? And then he wanted me to deal with it. It wasn't a wrath, you know, he's not mean, Um, but it was kindness and tender and mercy. That's how he is. We don't have to be afraid. So if you are feeling the need for reconciliation, don't be afraid. God is just too nice. He just wants this. He's not going to make you do it. He's going to gift it to you. So in about 2013, during all this time, I had a really deep and profound Bible study question. And the question asked us to spend time with the Lord concerning our spiritual heritage, as most of us have a family history that includes high points and low points, examples to follow and examples not to. So the question prompted a memory for me of a time when my husband, during another transition year for him professionally, and I remember, even now, do you guys remember when I just told you that his family was like Norman Rockwell in my eyes? Well, in my eyes. <laughs> um, in reality, no family is perfect, right? We're just not. We're all old enough to know that now. And the generational hardship for my side of the family is divorce, multiple levels of that. For my husband's family, it's financial hardship. So in the 200 years of this family farm, it's never been passed down as an inheritance. It's always been a burden. Okay, it has been. And I'm sure it was not meant to be staggered under. No one does that intentionally, right? But it has been. And it's caused a lot of pain. Unfortunately, sin... Whether it's known or unknown, right? They didn't mean to cause any harm, so it's unknown. But it travels from one generation to the next. It does. But sin and family curses don't have to. It can be broken. We can go in a different direction. We can. So one particular year, during this time, one of the last parcels of the 130 acres needed to be rescued. It was the last one, and it was not a good time for anybody. Not, I mean, who wants that, you know, in their life? It's a hard time. But that particular time for Pete, uh, it was the recession, as I mentioned to you. He was unemployed. We really didn't know how we were going to do it. So we asked the Lord to help us bear it, to really strengthen us so we could stand under it. And if he saw to it that we would be able to carry this, that we would be able to use it for his glory. And and so we made a vow to do that. And we also made a vow that this family hardship of divorce would end with me and his financial hardship from his family would end with him. We professed this out loud on our knees. So on December 1, you two sweet girls uh, remember that day well. 
um, December 1, 2020, the five parcels and the homestead immediately came into our care. And so it was time for us to honor the vow because we made that promise. And with the help of one of my brothers, all three of them, by the way, are gifted carpenters, a barn was transformed into a chapel and another barn was transformed into a fellowship hall. The chapel was consecrated one year later and we named it Solemn Vow. So the Lord's used it thus far six times and I am keeping a record because I want him to get credit for it. And I want to celebrate every time he does this. So he's used it six times for places of worship and kingdom building and expansion. And so you see all of us, you and I, can be a part of setting a new system and a new motion forward, a different sowing and reaping that will bring generations to blessings and get rid of all this. It's glorious to see the Lord at work as a reframer, a restorer, and a reclaimer. Yes, it is. However, it's not easy. The enemy is constantly at work. We know this from the fall, from two to three in Genesis. It's there. So whether we are working on our family relationships or in ministry, the enemy is working on discouraging us. And discouragement is one of the enemy's most powerful tools. But we serve a God who not only reframes, restores, and reclaims, but He rescues. And we are utterly dependent on the saving works of Jesus. So I feel like most of us in this room may be of the same age, having children who are in their late teens or young adults. And this, the Lord has a really great plan for this emerging generation taking the gospel, the light of Christ, into a dark world. But at the same time, the enemy is actively at work strategizing how he can thwart them from doing this, just mainly maybe by wearing them out, because I too get burdened weary and want to give up. But we have to keep pushing forward. If we only pray for strength to bear it, that's a good place to start. And... He want, the enemy wants to stop this generation from fulfilling God's call on their lives. But you and I, as godly parents, you just have such rock star kids. They're amazing. And leaders in our churches. I look at so many of you. That's where I know you from. We can begin praying for this disunity and this discord that we would be whole. And if we are strong, then they're going to be stronger. And so back to my husband, Pete. Um, what about this financial hardship that we vowed to break? Well, <laughs> the illness that I mentioned to you earlier has certainly brought its challenges um, to him open, owning his own business. Even owning your own business is risky. You know, it's, it's hard. Um, and we are still calling on the same God who reconciled before to reconcile again. Because my husband, Pete, does have a, stem, a sibling that he's estranged with um, completely, actually. They haven't spoken in almost two years. And Pete has reached out for birthdays and Christmas, but there's been no real response. And I know he grieves this because he tells me about it. You know, He, he grieves it a lot, actually. 
because something isn't the way it should be, and the unrealized grace hasn't been accepted. But if the Lord did it for me, he's going to do it for Pete, and he's going to do it for you. And he will do it for you. He will do it for every single one of you in here. He wants it for us more than we want it for ourselves, because he restores, he reclaims, he rescues, and he reconciles. So may I pray for our families? Lord, you are a God of miracles, and many of us in this room are praying for one. It is your greatest desire to make us whole, to heal the brokenhearted. Father, show us how to pray, to forgive, to extend grace, and Lord, to receive it. I thank you for what you have done in my life, and I thank you for what you will do in the lives of each person here, for their families, for their children, for their descendants, and for the continuing generations, for the not yet born. It is who you are, it is what you do, and you love doing it. May we all have a story to tell, and the name above every name in his story. Amen. Amen. You know, we thought it was so powerful to keep Ashley's prayer in because not only did she pray for the room, but also she was praying for all of us that are listening to her story now. And if this is something that you have experienced, if you are estranged from a family member, or if you are in the middle of reconciliation, take her prayer for yourself. It was so powerful that she talked about how much God cares about reconciliation and how much God loves families. Mm -hmm. And so her prayer of someone who has experienced that then can speak into our lives. So grab hold. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that's so important to God is unity. And it's just, you know, when she spoke about in her story, the verses from Genesis, how God created, you know, woman to be with man, and that was good. And then literally the next chapter, Satan slithers in and he tries to create discord and division among the man and the woman. It just makes me sit and think about how the enemy loves to create controversy in our relationships, um, insecurities in our relationships, you know, unforgiveness in our relationships. So there was there was a lot of layers there to her story that spoke to me. But also just even, you know, and it goes back to uh, Brent's story from last week. Brent took a step of faith. And so Ashley took a step of faith in her story. I don't know if you saw it, but the step of faith to going to her brothers after her stepmother died. And that spoke to me. And then also the grace upon grace that she said Mm -hmm. that her brothers had for her and how that began the reconciliation. And that's really what it begins with, is just mm-hmm. offering grace to those around us and forgiveness yeah, and, and taking those steps. I was going to say, and taking those steps. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and just like you're saying, Katie, I mean, it's Satan is against families. And, you know, we can look at our nation and we can see just how much Satan wants to tear down families. And so what an incredible story of just her faithfulness and God's extraordinary actions in, in working through this reconciliation. When, when, when she did see Pat, her stepmother, outside the bakery on that day, and she even phrased it, you know, God used an extraordinary event on an ordinary day. Mm-hmm. That really caught me for some reason because I thought, you know what? He is a God of miracles. Mm-hmm. He wants yeah. to restore us and reconcile us with families, with, yeah. with broken relationships. We've seen it time yeah. and time again. And 
he is doing extraordinary things every single day. And we, you know, if we could just lean into that mm-hmm. and and really, if you're walking with the Lord, being able to see those things and, and just her countenance, um, she had just such a sweet countenance. And, and you could just hear through her voice. We weren't in the room, but just hear through her voice the work that the Lord has done. You know, and Lindy, also, God is a God of restoration. Mm-hmm. He is a redeeming God. And what He longs for us to do is take a step of trusting Him in that area of offering that grace, that forgiveness. And then He wants to do immeasurably more mm-hmm. than all we could ask or imagine. I mean, I'm sure Ashley never thought that she would be with all of her siblings on a holiday. Mm-hmm. And then look what the Lord did. And you know, I think it was such a simple step of obedience. Right. She heard His voice when she was walking away from her stepmom. And she turned around. We hear his voice all the time. And sometimes it's so small, we miss it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like a big thing. And for her to stop halfway and turn around does not seem like a big thing, you know, mm-hmm. to sit and kind of wait in that moment. It'd be real easy with three kids in the car yeah. to get out of there and be like, oh, I probably should have stayed. Or mm-hmm. I maybe should have just sat there for a minute. You know, it was so simple. And yet, God used that in such a profound way. I agree, Robin. We can't end the episode without talking about the generational hardships. Did that make y'all pause like it did me? Mm -hmm. I mean, just... Ooh, what what has been my generational hardship yeah. in my family? What has been my husband's? And really kind of, again, leaning into that to what does the Lord need to do? What do we need to do in our walks of faith to change the course for our yeah. children? Yeah. Yes. And to think that God just wants to heal those places. He doesn't want us to continue in whatever it is in our family line, to continue in divorce, to continue in financial hardship. That's not who he is Mm -hmm. because he's good and he loves us and he wants us to be healed from that and create new for our families. Before we wrap things up, I mean, I just feel in my spirit that the Lord is piercing somebody's heart out there to take a step of reconciliation towards someone. So, you know, we've been talking about this little voice that you might be hearing in your head. Is God speaking to you right now about taking that step of faith, making a phone call, offering forgiveness, offering grace to someone Listen to that voice, trust the Lord, and take that step today. And reach out to us and let us know if you did. Please do that. Please reach out and let us know how God is using any story in your life, whether it's this one or another one. I mean, I truly think all of us would agree that it's one of our favorite parts of getting Mm -hmm. to do storytellers is to see how God works in all of your lives through stories. And so thank you so much for listening. And one quick thing, you heard us talk in the beginning that Fairhope is a brand new community. And if you are interested in bringing storytellers to your community, we would love to talk to you. We do it twice a year. We start new communities in the fall in September and again in January. And so if you're interested, shoot us an email at info at storytellerslive.org and we can help give you some information and see if it's something you want to do for your community. Thanks so much for listening and we will talk to you next week. Bye.